May I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. It's the six man Dean Geronimo, and as always, I'm in the studio from NJ to NC with my right hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, rewind one time and tell you what, what you did last time. Right. On, uh, Friday, I believe it was Friday, he was celebrating his birthday, so that was going on. And then on uh, Saturday, there was a salute to Max Roach, you know, the legendary jazz artist. So that was really good. Some musicians, I think that they were all connected to North Carolina Central University, either going through the graduate program or might have already graduated from that program. But I tell you, those musicians okay. rock the house. They did a great job of rocking the house and definitely honoring nice. Max Roach. They also honored some other legends that have passed on as well because during the course of that, they honored uh, Jimmy Heath as well as Roy Hargrove, two other great jazz artists that have passed away uh, in the not too distant future. I mean, not too distant past. So they've been not that long gone from us. Uh, so they honored them as well. So definitely, uh, it was definitely some real good music that was happening on that particular evening. So definitely enjoyed myself checking that activity out. So, you know, we've always got things going on at the center. As a matter of fact, one day that I was over there, they also had some youth poets competing. And those poets were just um, actually amazing. But what they were doing is they were not reciting poems that they wrote themselves. They were actually honoring and performing the poets of some great legends like uh, Lewis Carroll, Phyllis Wheatley, Langston Hughes. So okay. it was a chance for them to interpret this but in their own way, in their own style. And the one that won it definitely deserved the victory. It was a young lady that won it, and she definitely deserved that victory. But, you know, instead of doing original work, they were doing works of other more famous poets and definitely brought it to the uh, flavor. And I think the people that were there really enjoyed themselves. Of course, like everybody else around the uh, country, we're all mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant. It was just an amazing tragedy that happened on yesterday. And, you know, we're all definitely touched yeah. by that in a lot of different ways. I mean, it's just a, bad enough that uh, Kobe, who is definitely a true legend in the NBA, passed away in that helicopter crash. But for his daughter to be taken away as well is definitely touching a lot of people's hearts. Because, I mean, the young lady looked like she had a bright future on the basketball court ahead of her. Looked like she was definitely following in the footsteps of her father. As a matter of fact, I was reading one article where I think somebody was trying to, like, you know, push on him to have a boy since he had all girls. And that particular one, the one that passed away, was basically like, look, I can handle this. I can uh, follow in the tradition, and I can do just as well in terms of continuing the legacy and things of that nature. So, you know, kind of raising a daughter like that that was going to try to, like, take it to the, that kind of level at the WNBA or whatever she might have decided to do it. I mean, she might have even been one of those people that was going to, like, break 
all kinds of boundaries and maybe even come to play with the boys or whatever. There's really no telling where that could have gone, <laughs> but it was just a tragedy to see that that uh, will not come to fruition whatsoever. And, uh, they, you know, and all the other people that were perished in that uh, flight that went down. Cause I mean, from what I'm reading, a lot of those other young ladies were also very gifted uh basketball players at least two of them were and there were some gifted coaches that were on there not just Kobe who has also been doing some coaching as well as uh, the pilot who apparently um, has one that Kobe really trusted to handle that kind of plane and things of that nature I think they're still trying to figure out you know why the plane went down what in uh, role fog might have had in it and different things of that nature but it was just a total tragedy and you could tell that it impacted the sports world I mean you're seeing comments coming from yes. NFL players, NBA players, folks that are in the uh, golf world. We even saw how it impacted the folks that were there being honored at the Grammys. So it definitely you could see that that was going on. I did watch some of the Grammys last night, and you could definitely see where there were some people that were, you know, putting all, had their um, jersey of Kobe uh, on, his uh, number on, or, or maybe setting off to the side as one of the performers did, and things of that nature. So you could definitely see that it, it impacted them as well. So, like I said, it was a definite tragedy. Um, I don't know if you checked the Grammys out. I thought the Grammys, I know some people don't like the Grammys because no, they wonder where the I, I good music has it. gone. But actually, the I was actually I like, surprised. There it were doesn't come on the Grammys. <laughs> that is true. A lot of the good music does not come on the Grammys. But North Carolina was represented. J. Cole, uh, I believe, won a Grammy for one of his things and everything. And, of course, he's got some North Carolina okay. ties. And there were some others with North Carolina ties. Rihanna, uh, um, trying to remember her, the Giddens, I believe it is. Uh, but she's a folk singer, and she's got North Carolina ties. Of course, Shirley Caesar's always at the uh, Grammy. So there were some North Carolina ties there. Though. So definitely uh, my state was represented there in the Grammys. I'm still trying to figure out where this young lady that won all these awards came from and everything because I try to follow some of our pop culture and things of that nature, but I don't know where this lady came from. I mean, definitely seems to have a following and definitely a great, great fan base, but I must be missing her music because I think her name is Billie Eilish or something like that, and her uh, brother is part of the musician. Okay. I mean, part of his crew, part of her crew, but she won, I think, four or five, and uh, like I said, definitely has a strong fan base. I did enjoy the fact that I think on maybe their third award that they got, they talked about the fact that they did not even create the music thinking that they would win in a Grammy and that they kind of like gave encouragement to others that might be recording music in the basement of their house or in their house, you know, driving the parents crazy. And it was basically like, look, you know, you keep going at it. You keep hitting the woodshed. You keep doing your thing. You too might be up here like uh, my uh, young sister and I, because it was actually the older brother who I think is either 21 or 22. I think the uh, sister that had won most of those awards is like around 18. But basically they were saying that, look, if you go ahead and, you put your time in and, you know, try to write something. Because I think they said they weren't even necessarily trying to write an award-winning song. They were just writing about uh, bad guys and depression and, I think, suicide and things of that nature. But they were okay. writing about these kind of sad topics. But, you know, it definitely caught the attention of, I guess, those Grammy uh, voters and things of that nature. And they basically were encouraging others to, you know, follow your dreams. And that's something that I think even Kobe has, uh, as I've read about some of the things, that he was telling people to do. He was telling people to follow their dreams. So I think that those kind of encouraging messages, both from the uh, legendary Kobe Bryant as well as these young upstart musicians, was definitely something that needed to be heard 
and the longtime producer of the uh, Grammys. I think he steps down this year. I think this was his last year of doing it, and he's done it for decades, and I do mean decades. Uh, he kind of, like, used his time to have a lot of great musicians out of the whole concept that we've actually talked about on this program, the concept of needing music education and the importance of music education to developing our child's uh, growth mentality, to de- developing their critical thinking and things of that nature. And he had some very powerful singers that were up there, some that had performed in the past and had been out there as well. But then there were some new timers. I mean, he had the uh, Debbie Allen dancers. I don't know whether they've been there before, but he definitely had Missy Copeland, and they definitely flashed it. That was her first time performing at the Grammys, and they had a number of other artists, some that folks would have recognized from having made past Grammy appearances, and some that were some new folks. But basically the whole thing was they did one of the songs from the hit TV show and the hit movie Fame, and they that particular song is about um, music education and about pursuing your dreams as well. So that was definitely good to see that conversation taking place and things of that nature. So definitely uh, it was enjoyable that that happened. And uh, and there were a couple of other powerful moments that I did see as well. I, too, have gotten a little bit away from the award shows, not just the Grammys, but the Oscars and some of the other ones used to be into them a lot more than I am now. Part of that is my own busy schedule. But if I do catch them, I do like it when they use it as a platform to make statements. So when uh, Guy Clark, I believe it is, or Gary Clark it is, the uh, jazz musician, basically was telling folks that are part of that uh, Make America Great crowd that this is our country as well, and he made that statement in his performance. I could definitely relate to what he was saying because he was basically like saying, look, you know, you talk about I need to be going back to where you think I'm from or whatever, but I was actually born here as well. I've done a lot, and my ancestors have done a lot to make this a great country so you don't need to be telling me to go back anywhere so i thought that that was a very powerful statement that gary clark used the grammys as a opportunity to make um one of the other singers uh was more of a pop singer demi she used it to make a statement about um you know when you're dealing with things like suicide and those kind of issues and going to get help and things of that nature so there was definitely some moments in the grammys of what i saw where they use the Grammys for what I personally do not mind them using it for. I know some people, they get upset when they see folks doing that. They think that they shouldn't soapbox or things of that nature. But I am not one that believes in that. I think that if you've got that kind of platform, that you have the right to use that platform to make statements, particularly positive statements among those of us that consider ourselves progressive when so much of the reactionary and the right-wing people are tweeting and making statements on a regular basis that are opposite of what the truth is. So I did have, I had no problem whatsoever with Gary Clark Jr. making that statement with his song, This Land Is Ours Land as well, is basically what the song is called. So uh, he definitely uh, rocked it. And like I said, there were a couple of moments like that of the time that I saw it. I did not see the whole thing. Probably saw maybe a good half to a third of the Grammys. But what I saw, I thought that that was their right to make those kind of statements and I was just glad to see them do that. You know what? It, it, the question is, when was this country ever great? So when you say make it a great again, <laughs> make it great for who? You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'll be damned if you try to make it like how it was when my parents came up doing the Civil Rights Movement. We ain't about that life. You can catch these hands, and you can catch something else, too, if you want to. 
we're not going to play those games. And, you know, you got people right. sitting outside waiting to see uh, Chump, and they staying overnight out in the cold. I hope it hit cold blue levels, dog. I, I mean, I ain't even taking it back. But we got somebody at the door, man. You know, we're going to bring them in in just one second. Hey, y'all, it's Straight Talk with Dana Mark. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitney, the neighborhood original. All right, y'all, and we are back. Um, caller, you are now on Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hello? Yeah, this is Garrett yeah. Davis. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you, Garrett. How you yep. doing, Garrett? Hey, how you doing, guys? Doing very good. Garrett Davis is a longtime friend of mine, and I just wanted Garrett to come on the show and talk about the amazing work that he has been doing. You know, we talk about folks that have done some great work in our community. Garrett Davis is a North Carolina-based artist in terms of being a playwright, uh, you know, I personally think that he's just as good, if not better, than Tyler, but that's just my own personal bias since <laughs> I knew Garrett when he was a youngster. My uh, folks, as I've referred to on this show a number of times, had a radio station, and Garrett was actually getting his feet wet during the time that we had that radio station going on that's over right. there in Warren County. But he has definitely made a name in his, of his own right doing some great work with uh but great theater, and I would just consider it great theater. Like I said, a lot of people may try to put it in the same category as Tyler's and others and just call it great gospel theater, but I just think it's great theater. And, you know, while I am not always the fan of gospel theater that is a little bit kind of canned or that has too many of the stereotypes, I think that Gary does a point of trying not to do that kind, the more stereotypical type, and he definitely gets some very positive messages out and what he says and things of that nature. Yes, he may be using the gospel as part of the way that he does it, but he's definitely still putting out a great and positive word, and that's what, part of the reason that I want to invite Garrett onto the show on this particular evening because, like I said, he's definitely been somebody that I have had a great deal of respect for out of the theater community. So, Garrett, that's a little bit about my spiel on you and our connection from back in the Warrington days. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your career and things of that nature. Oh, one other thing I do want to mention just really quickly, since we're talking about the VSP days and those things, I will say that it was very surreal. I was talking about the Grammys, and, you know, every year they do that memory section and everything. And usually you mm-hmm. see people that you may have known in one form or fashion as fans. I mean, of course, we remember when Michael mm-hmm. passed. We remember when Prince passed. We remember when folks like that passed. But, you know, there was an artist, that was among those names that was from our same area. She grew up around Littleton and things of that nature. So, I mean, a lot of people were very touched when Catrice Barnes lost her battle to cancer. But just seeing her face up there among those oh, names man. Yeah. was just very, very yeah. touching to me. Because I'm like I said, just to see that woman that we all knew, and we knew her as being somebody very powerful and doing a lot of great work in the music community, having performed with such legends as uh, Sting and um, Shaka Khan and just a number mm-hmm. of other great legends and to have to see her up there and just to know 
all that her mother is going through. Because as I mentioned on this show one time before, her mother, in a matter of not a long period of time, lost her one of her sons, her husband, and her daughter. So right now it's just the mom and the other son, who is also a noted musician as well. So just to, you know, our prayers and thoughts go out to that family, but just to see that face there. And like I said, I had uh, not been uh, that much in touch with her. I would occasionally, you know, maybe drop a line here and there on Facebook or things of that nature. So we weren't as in touch as we might have been in the 80s and maybe even a little bit in the 90s. But still, we did have some connection and did have some history. So just to see that kind of face of somebody that you knew just really touched me. And I think you probably knew her as well, Gary. Yeah, yeah. And, man, it's amazing. I was just listening to you guys before you came back and break with me. And um, I want to applaud, you know, Mark, for, um, you know, I think this type of, of medium is missed today. I think everything is so canned and everything is so controversial. And everything sometimes can be so political that, you know, the crew just rap, just talk about it. Um, you know, those mediums don't exist, so I applaud you. And, and your colleagues, what you're doing, and um, you know, I had not been for your mother and um, the the platform that was given to me as a young high school student. I never would have gotten into radio. <clears throat> had I never gotten into radio, I wouldn't have gotten into theater. So I like to go back to the roots to where it all started. And you know, you know, your mother and and and, and that family man was very instrumental and laying down a foundation so that I didn't have to prime tobacco, so I didn't have to pick cucumbers. It was, it, was another, it was another form of something for me to do to find out what was already inside of me. And so, man, it's just, you know, the journey I've been on in, in writing theater, you know, yeah, we did start off with gospel plays, but like we've kind of morphed into now what we call our health portfolio. And, you know, it is my belief that everyone learns differently. And uh, we have been, you know, over the last, you know, we've been doing plays for close to 30 years, but over the last 10 years, we really found our niche in doing these productions based on real-life situations that deal with raising awareness, trying to close the health disparities gap in communities of color, doing plays on Alzheimer's and diabetes and prostate cancer, um, congestive heart failure, and that nature. And we have, you know, it, it, God has really, truly, <clears throat> truly blessed us, you know, to have sponsors like AARP, the Alzheimer's Association, the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association. We're working with pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and Bayer. You know, who would have ever thought that a little boy from Warren County would be in that realm of doing things? And, you know, we have really um, been blessed to be able to do that. And um, it's just amazing, you know, you know, plays have literally taken me around the world, Mark. Um, and it's not enough, you know, as you know, as I speak to you now, you know, my, you know, my grandmother died from Alzheimer's disease, and my mother has been diagnosed with it. So there is still work to be done in trying to make sure that we as African Americans know all that we need to know about trying to make our health better. And one way that we learn is through entertainment. And, and, and so, you know, corporate America can spend millions of dollars on research and spend millions of dollars on brochures and education, but if they don't meet us where we are, we always get left out. You know, something as simple as you know, every 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 drug that's on the shelf in Walmart went through a clinical trial, and I would hate for them to come up with a cure for Alzheimer's or a cure for cancer, and it doesn't work in us. 
us African Americans, but we didn't participate in clinical trials. And you know, as soon as you say clinical trials, people talk about Tuskegee. So you know, we've come we're in, we're in development. We're coming up with a project that's going to talk about why you know we need to be involved in clinical trials. So the work that I'm doing, man, I don't consider it work. It's just a lifestyle. I'll do this so I can't breathe anymore. But man, it, it, I'm just a, you know just honored just to, just to be talking to you again. I go back to memories of when I used to call the state stuff and uh, would be on the air until midnight and. Um, that was my introduction to jazz, you know, into pure jazz. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I'll never forget where I come from, man. And, you know, it, it's just amazing to, to be kind of going back in memories. And, you know, we're talking, you know, the world is talking about Kobe Bryant right now. And, you know, to me, you know, Kobe was a fan. But at the end of the day, you know, what was even more appealing to people is like how much of, of a father he was, how much he was trying to inspire other people. And, man, that's just that's what I want to do. You know, can anything good come out of Warren County? Yes, it can, and I think you're talking to two people right now, me and you. I would consider us, you know, pretty good people trying to leave our mark. Definitely trying to leave our mark for Warren County and things of that nature. And that's one of the things, even talking about Kobe, that they talked about was that apparently, and I think that's kind of what Obama was referring to, was that he was saying that uh, he would have been just as great in the, as he called it, the next act or the second act as he had mm-hmm. been in that mm-hmm. first act, which was his basketball act, because a lot of what he was doing was uh, what you were talking about doing. I mean, he was also, um, I don't know if Dean was aware of this, but I mean, it's definitely come out in the news and everything. He had his own podcast and he had a podcast yeah. where he was talking about trying to do some writing and talking about trying to deal with some issues and things, not just things that he had been creating while he was on the basketball court. Cause apparently he was an avid uh, writer while he was, you know, between games and things of that nature. So he had already mm-hmm. had some ideas of some storylines and some things that he was working on. Of course, everybody knows about his letters to basketball, dear basketball that he wrote that got um, some notices among the award shows and things of that nature. But apparently he had a lot of other things on the tap and everything like that. I'm hoping that the folks that are running his production company, I mean, of course, they've got to get through the period of sadness and mourning and things of that nature. But I do hope that they did keep some of those records and that we will eventually get to see some of those stories that he was working on. Mm-hmm. come to some sort of life because I know that a lot of that stuff is still out there and hopefully it's in some form of fashion that they can turn it into kind of the vision of what he had wanted it to be, even if it won't be right. quite what he wanted because he's not the one doing it. But I do know that a lot of times you're talking to your colleagues and things of that nature, so I'm hoping that they're able to do that. And you were talking yeah. about the fact of well, a couple things you mentioned. One is the whole thing of using the theater as a form of talking about issues. I don't know if you're aware mm-hmm. of this, but North Carolina Central has been doing this for a few years as well. I don't know if they got the idea from you or if they got the idea from <laughs> others that were doing like-minded things, but I do know that like Howard Kraft and some other friends of mine that are playwrights, I think it's once a year, maybe twice a year, they've done oh, wow. different things over there at Central's campus around different issues. I mean, I know that they've t- touched on issues like um, – I think that they might have touched on the prostate issue, prostate cancer. I'm pretty sure that they've touched on other forms of cancer. I'm pretty sure they touched on breast cancer and things of that nature. But it's just different things that they've written about, and they're actually working, I think, on the ones for 2020. So you're right. A lot of times we have to use the means of theater or music or whatever to get the causes out there. And there are so many times that we are afraid. We talked about it on this show. We had Lippy Roy, who is a uh, medical professional, on and has some connections to Duke. And uh, even though she's Asian-American, she was talking about the fact that a lot of minorities do have those kind of fears. Because of uh, mm-hmm. Tuskegee, they have fears yeah. of the clinical trials. And a lot of times we just have fears of just going to regular doctors and don't even talk about, like, a mental right. doctor or a psychiatrist because a lot of times we just feel like they don't 
have an understanding of where we're coming from and have a lot of, of stereotypes. So it sounds like a lot of your plays are trying to tackle these stereotypes and get people to understand yes. that these doctors are doing yes. it for the good of their health and not trying to exactly. destroy them or do some of these things that might have harmed us in the past. Right. Yeah, I mean, what, we, what I call my uh, series of things is a health portfolio. And you can follow us on gdavisproductions.net. That's gdavisproductions.net. And you can see all the work that we're doing, all the different plays that we have. That's kind of the hub of all of our websites. Each particular play that we have has its own website, but that's the hub. Uh, I know we're going to be in your area March 21st. We're kicking off our prostate cancer play. It'll be our third year and on tour, and we're kicking that off uh, at Carolina Theater March the 21st. Um, so we're looking to come into your area with that. You know, Forgive Me Not Man has been touring the country for 12 or 13 consecutive years. Uh, Mama's Girls, my play that dealt with caregiving, toured for eight consecutive years. Uh, part two of Mama's Girls went three years old with um, I call it sugar and sweet, dealing with uh, how in our community, you know, we didn't, Mama didn't say she had diabetes, she said she had sugar. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to tackle these health issues, you're going to have to meet people where they are and use the language they're familiar uh, hearing so that they can, we can push them towards helping so they can have a better quality of life. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. And you've definitely been doing that for a number of years. I'm hoping that you'll also make it at some point to back to the Haiti Heritage Center because, you know, that's one of my homes as well. But I am sure. on the board sure. of the Carolina Theater, so definitely glad that you're coming to the Carolina Theater because I'm actually scheduled to have a board meeting tomorrow. So I'll have to, oh, wow. have to mention to them that you're looking forward to that because I've been on the board now for a few years over there at the Carolina right. Theater and uh, definitely trying to do some great work in that realm and in that particular historical theater as well. We have so many great right. historical theaters here in this area. That's one of the things that I think people are not aware about, and I'm sure that you've found this out as you've traveled around the country and everything, and definitely around the state here in North Carolina. Is we have a tremendous amount of great little theaters that people don't know about, because one of the projects that I've been involved in for going on six years is the Road to the Apollo, where we uh, run the show just like me and Captain Newborn, one of my business partners, run it just like the Apollo that you would see in New York, and then the winners uh-huh. get to actually go to the real Apollo Theater and get oh, like wow. to jump the line. So they get to jump the line, oh, and wow. we've got something like 95, 90% success rate. So most of our people that have gone and auditioned have actually hit the stage there in that world-famous Apollo right. Theater. But the last two or three years, we've actually traveled to different theaters around North Carolina. Like we went to the Kirby, we went to um, McGregor in Henderson, we've been to little theaters in Fayetteville, and sometimes you're just amazed at some of these theaters. Sally B. Howard over there just outside of, uh, um, I believe that's in Roanoke Rapids or Weldon area, but Mm -hmm. just these Mm -hmm. little small theaters that you have no idea exist until you actually start traveling around and seeing them. But they produce some great local work, and they also do a good job of trying to bring in national and international artists as well when they can afford them according to their budgets and things of that nature but just these little jewels and it's not just here uh dean my partner in crime is up there in new jersey and they've got jewels in all parts of jersey and new york and delaware that a lot of times folks don't think about so i think that that's one of the things i always try to encourage well, we're going to have to definitely keep in, touch, keep in touch about that as i travel because i'm always because all of our productions man are free we don't charge you know that's that's the beauty of what we do you know you know I get compared to Tyler all the time, um, and one of the things that you know, and Tyler and I, you know, you know, we converse and, and work together on certain things. But the difference between Tyler and I is, that, you know, you just get Tyler Perry play, you'll go home, you know, you and your girlfriends, the girls will get together, have wine, and watch Tyler Perry play, and that's fine. You know, you go see a G. Davis production, you go home, you're gonna have a serious conversation with 
you know, longevity? What do I need to do about the next phase of life? And so the difference between us is, you know, we're on two different total planes. You know, I'm entertaining you, but I'm more about educating you than I am entertaining you. But I use entertainment as a way to draw you in so that, you know, you need to find out about what's going on and, uh, with you, with your family, and so that you know where the connection, where the resources are. So, man, I, I'm, I'm amazed that and, and, and blessed that, you know, you know, you're connected with all these theaters, you know, all the theaters you name, you know, the smaller, I think I've played it one time or another. You know, we do, we do McGregor Hall once a year. Um, uh, we do try to get back to Ron Rabbits when we can. Um, so, man, I'm, I'm just looking forward, you know, keeping the, keeping the connections open this time around. It don't take so long for us to kind of talk. <laughs> And yeah, definitely those have to put in those long gaps of time that we do sometimes. But we'll definitely try to keep it more tight and not just have these long yeah. gaps of times where we're right. apart from each other. Um, right. Tell us a little bit about some of the artists that you've worked with. Because, like I said, you've had the tremendous pleasure of working with some amazing names, folks like Regina Bale, Freddie Jackson, Gerald Alston, as yeah. well as Sister Cantaloupe. So just tell us a little bit about how those came about, whether they, whether they searched you out or whether you searched them out or how those relationships were birthed. Well, thanks to you and your mom and giving me that foundation radio, you know, when I went on, before I got into theater full-time, Mark, I was the program director for some urban stations in Fayetteville and being a program director and promotion director, then, you know, you're playing hand-in-hand hand with the record companies. And so a lot of those artists that I've worked with over the years was through relationships that I built in radio. And so it was easy to get the Freddie Jackson and the Joe Lawson from the Manhattans and, and you know, and, and you know the Tony Terry's and the Vivica Foxes and all of those because of the connections that I had in radio. But when I started doing this, um, the play, these, these health series for real, I began to realize that if I'm going to help someone, why should I charge them to get the services? And so, you know, that's when, you know, about 10 years ago, I decided, you know, to, to focus the plays that I was going to do on trying to raise the awareness in, in, in my community so that we could get the services that we need. And so that's when I began to, you know, you know, I worked with Deborah Tyler Horton. She was at ARP in Raleigh. Now she's in Georgia. She's a big mentor of mine. And when I told her about my vision to do, you know, a play on about five sisters trying to take care of their mother from five different cities, um, and we built that around ARP's health initiative called Prepare to Care. And so when ARP paid for that tour, you know, the doors opened up. And before I knew it, all these agencies were calling me about, do you have anything on diabetes? Do you have anything on Alzheimer's? And so as I began to write, you know, the caveat was, I don't want to charge my community because, you know, if they have to pay for it, they may not get it. And so, you know, when I started doing that, I started focusing away, Mark, from who is in my play. And I, you know, and I became to build something about, you know, you know, what is my play about? Because it's it, 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 the, it, it, the um, emphasis is always on who's in it. They always miss the message. Yeah, and those messages are very important. One of the things I'm curious about, and I don't know whether you've written anything about this yet, not, or yet, but one of uh, my partner in crime has dealt with Crohn's disease on a regular basis. So do you have a play yet hmm. on Crohn's? No, I don't. You know, I don't. You know, I, now, now the phone is ringing, um, you know, I, because of, you know, establishing of who we are and what we do, who we've done it with. You know, you know, agencies call me. I've been, you know, asked to do something on lupus. I've been asked to do something on um, on um, lung cancer, uh, but I haven't been asked to do something on Chrome. So I mean, my thing is, if it affects my community, I want to do it. So um, I would love to um, to explore that to see, if, you know, if we can get some traction on that. Yeah, because I think that's an issue that definitely has touched a lot of folks. Um, Dean, when you first found out about it, how long? Because um, you've been dealing with that disease now for a number of years. <laughs> 
since 1997. Wow, wow. He's been dealing with it for 23 years, and he's got a um, wife who's a business owner as well as kids and grandkids. So he's been dealing with it for that many years and is still doing a lot of great things. Because in addition to doing the podcast with me, Gene also has worked in the, for a number of years in the corrections field. So how long has that been oh, now, wow. Gene, that you've been in the corrections field? This is my 21st year. Wow. So he's going to celebrate 21 years of working in the corrections field. So, like I said, he's been dealing with that, and I know some other folks that have dealt with other kinds of diseases. I've got, like I said, we've talked about Catrice Logan and her battle with breast cancer, and there's so many women out there that are fighting that disease mm-hmm. on a regular basis. I know I've got a couple of friends that are part of my community of artists and things of that nature that are, you know, still living with it on a daily basis and still fighting with it on a daily basis, but still seem to be doing a great job of trying to make that happen and everything. Um, one mm-hmm. of the people that you've worked with, I uh, just wanted to know a little bit about that story as well, because I was a big fan of hers when I first started reading her book. So I don't know how you came around getting Nina Fox either, because like I said, I was a big fan <laughs> of hers when some of those early books wow. came out. I think I might have even had a crush on her, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> no, that's amazing. I talked to Nina tonight. Um, I met Nina on a celebrity cruise of um, authors, and I was the only playwright on the uh, in that group. And Nina and I just clicked, just kind of hit it off. And um, at the time, she a, she, a, one of her books out was called Marrying Up, which is based about trying to um, uh, if you're going to marry, make sure you marry up. And I turned her book into a play. And, uh, but Nina was the number one um, black female uh, author on Harper College, which was, you know, there's a big, big, big publishing company. And man, Nina is, is, is um, she, she was and still is a great person to work with. Um, she, she is fan, a fantastic writer, and she's got a plethora of books out there. Um, but she's just good people, man. She dies out there late now. But I mean, Nina is just, is just good people, and, and um, I would love to see if I can get out. You know, if, if you want me to, I'll see if I can make it happen. Once you, where you can get it, get on your show. Yeah, I would love to have that happen. I'm a big fan of hers, and I would love to see if we can't get her on the show as well as some of those artists that you know from the uh, recording industry. Some of those names that you mentioned that sure. are still sure. with us that have worked with you. I would love to have them come on the show at some time or another because we definitely love talking to the artists and making see what they're doing and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we're still with how you're doing and everything. Um, so. You mentioned it earlier, the comparison that people give to Tyler and you. When people make that comparison, how do you go about stopping them from making that comparison? Because, of course, because you came out of the gospel music and gospel theater world, a lot of people are going to make that automatic comparison, even though, you know, like I said, that's a whole different level than what he's doing at Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I do is I'm trying to make sure not to um, speak down of Tyler in any kind of way. Um, but it just, it just to let people know that it, it, we're just two totally different you know, there's two totally different genres, you know, although from the outside looking in, you, see, you know, we both have elaborate sets, you know, our plays are marketed extremely well. I mean, you know, it's, you know, outside looking in, you know, I can see why the comparison is, but when you come inside and, and experience, it's two totally different experiences. You know, yeah, you're going to enjoy both of them, but the conversation you have after them, that's what's different. You know, you'll leave our productions and you'll go home and tell your wife, you know, maybe 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 time for me to go go get my prostate check, or maybe you know we need to figure out how we're going to take care of mom. You know, we got we got to figure out how we're going to become caregivers now. So the conversations afterwards are totally different. And uh, who are some of the people you mentioned? Of course, 
the folks that were there at VSP when you were doing radio. But when you decided to become a theater writer, who were some of the folks that inspired you that were the folks that you used as your inspiration? And along those same kind of lines, when folks come to you for inspiration, what is some of the advice that you give them? So it's two different wow. questions, but along sure. the different. The first versions. question is the, the first question. I never I never look to other writers or other playwrights um, for inspiration. I was always inspired by people who um, overcame um, uh, what I would call wounds. Uh, for instance, you know, I would look at you know and some of the names. Only you may know. You know, I would look at a, a Jerry King. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I right. would look at a Steve Hyman. I would look at um, um, uh, Larry Williams. Um, I would look at your mother um, um, running. A, you know, I never, in case I'm, I never appreciated what your mother did um, for that radio station until I became the youngest African American program director of a hundred thousand watt NPR affiliate radio station in the country uh, at 23. And I was running well. WFSS in, 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 in Fayetteville State. It was a public radio station. And um, to see the struggles that we had with all the support, and to think back what you, your family was doing with, with, with little or very no support, man, it, I, I don't know how you guys did it, man. I don't. Right. I don't. Um, and so it's things like that that inspire me to say, you know, despite what someone says, I'm going to do this, you know. Um, so I, mean, I never look, I never look to or at other playwrights or other producers, you know, to, you know, to try to pattern my, my, um, my journey after, you know, I look at documentaries all the time. I get inspired from, you know, um, the Quincy Jones story. I get inspired, you know, from guys that, you know, things of that nature, what they went through and like, you know, they did it during this era, like the Ray Charles and, and things. That's mm-hmm. what inspires me to, to to take what I'm doing now, you know, and be able to, to go forward. I think back to, you know, when PCP was dumped on the side of the road and all that was going to go town, and I was, you know, handcuffed to a guy named Joseph Laurie. He had no idea who Joseph Laurie was. And I was crying because I was going to jail, and I'll never forget Joseph Laurie telling me, you know, son, why are you crying? And so he said, because I'm going to die. He said, you don't know why you're out here? I said, no, I just came out to everybody else. He said, Sometimes the last thing you need to do is follow everybody. You need to know what you're getting into before you get into it. And I remember seeing a WFSS and you hear something called King Speak. And I remember hearing his voice and it sounds so familiar. And then, it, you know, years later it clicked. You know, Joseph Laurie of the SDL, he was like, oh, my God, I was handcuffed with Joseph Laurie. That was the Joseph Laurie talking to me. And to be able to take one of my plays to his church and tell him that story. I mean, that's my inspiration, man. So when people come to me now, um, uh, you know, it's like I just tell them my journey. I tell them that, you know, man, if David can do this, trust me, you can. There is no obstacle too big for you not to be a dream to be able to realize what you can do. It's not about trying to be the next Tyler. It's not about trying to be the next Jacarius uh, Johnson and the next David. It's about being the first Mark, the first Mark Lee. Because if you're yep. the first Mark Lee, then everyone else is trying to be like you. Don't try to be like nobody else. Just be the first you, and everything else will come, you know, will come into play. Yeah, you're very right about that. And a lot of people forget what you just referred to. I mean, we hear so much now about climate change and environmental justice and things of that nature. But people forget that the the birth of the environmental justice movement, which we're definitely in the midst of right now, started right there in Warren County. So it's people like you and Joseph Lowry that were, you know, chained to equipment and everything that really birthed a movement that is still going on 
to this day. So when folks are involved in these environmental movement things, and they don't even realize that it was kind of birthed right there in Warren County because of that uh, dumping of those chemicals and everything. Right, right. So that's just amazing that folks don't understand that history because I know one of my favorite books, and it was also a predecessor to the environmental uh, movement and everything, but wasn't so much about the environmental justice movement because there are two separate movements, the environmental movement and the environmental justice movement. But the environmental movement, I remember having the book Echotage, which is about a gentleman in the Midwest who basically uh, sabotaged various corporations by doing some really insane things. I mean, I definitely spent some time in jail and things of that nature. And I remember carrying that book around for a number of years just because he was a fascinating character because I can't remember right. which corporation it was, but he went and basically found the president of that corporation. They were uh, poisoning like one of the lakes. So he went and found those dead fish and somehow snuck into the man's office and dumped the dead fish right there on his office. So they, oh, they, there was a lot of a lot of folks who tried to figure out who he was. And I think they eventually did locate who he was and figured out his identity and everything, but he was doing it kind of like, you know, under the cover and people were just trying to figure out who is this madman that's being able to sneak into somebody's office, you know, pre nine eleven type security and just drop these fish mm-hmm. around. And if that book is still out there. You can find it on Amazon and some other ways of getting books that are out there, but it is definitely an interesting book about a fascinating individual that was part of the environmental movement. But like I said, the environmental justice movement, it started right there in Warren County. And a lot of people don't even know that. Right. Wow. Wow. Man, so this has been real. That, yeah. So the fact that you had that that chance to do that. And you're so right. So oftentimes people are trying to make that comparison. They want to have that person in their life that is going to be that they're going to be just like them or whatever, you know, I guess they were trying to, you know, everybody want to be the next Michael or now I'm sure people want to be the, the next Kobe or the next LeBron, but sometimes you have to do what you just said and let, let folks know that you are the next great thing and that they right. were great in their own right. You admire their greatness, but that you want them to know that you are the next great thing, that you're not trying exactly. to be a carbon copy of them or something of that nature. Exactly. 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 So that's just, that's just amazing. What were some of your favorite places? Because like I said, you've had the pleasure of traveling around the world with your theater and everything of that nature. What are some of the favorite places that you've been to? And have there, have there been any world trips that you really enjoyed going on? And what was it about those trips that you enjoyed? So like, I don't know what it's somebody said. Maybe it was out in L.A. Maybe it was New York. I will, Maybe you've had the chance to go to Paris. <laughs> well, definitely um, Chicago sticks out in my mind. Um um, Los Angeles, um, Kansas City. Um, the mid, I mean, I love doing theater, you know, um, in the Midwest. It seems like um, for some reason maybe a lot of black theater doesn't get out to, to certain places. Or, or I don't know if that's it or if they just adore what we do. But, I mean, we always get warm, warm welcome uh, in the Midwest. And I love going to the Midwest. Um, um, you know, we've, been, I mean, we've pretty much been to almost everywhere. As far north as, um, as Boston, as far south as Miami. Far west is you know L.A. and and uh, we haven't gotten to Seattle yet. I definitely want to get to Seattle, but I enjoy I enjoy Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, anytime we go out to Phoenix, we always connect with Dick Gregory's uh, niece, uh, Diana Gregory. She's doing great work with making sure seniors get the proper diet and foods, you know, um, through her Meals on Wheels um, program. Um, we you know, but uh, yeah, I kind I kind of like that West Coast scene, man. I I really do. Yeah, that West Coast scene seems very interesting. I know my good friend Ronnie Warner is a uh, filmmaker out there. He's a gentleman that did This Christmas 
moved here from moved there from Hillsboro and doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon, even though every <laughs> once in a while things might be trying to draw him back. He actually just lost uh, not that long ago, like maybe within the last week or two. His 103-year-old, I believe she was, grandmother. So wow. she had lived a wow. very long life and definitely inspired mm-hmm. him and others. His uh, One of his cousins is a local banker, and I was talking about the fact that he had come back home to visit her, but he's done a lot with stand-up comedy and with his filmmaking, but he's from the little town of Hillsboro. Coming back to radio just real quickly, Garrett, does it ever concern you when you see, because you talked about the early, the days of VSP and even the days of the way college radio used to be when you were on college radio, but sometimes, and I, we definitely want to accentuate the positive, but sometimes we have to accentuate acknowledge some of the negatives. Sometimes it seems like even college radio has gotten away from actually doing a lot of work of helping discover the new artists and things of that nature. You heard us earlier talking about the Grammys, and I do kind of agree with Dean that some of the artists that we would like to see acknowledged on the Grammys, we're not seeing as much because they're, of course, going with the pop successes. And I do sometimes feel that even our college radio stations have gotten into more of a commercial radio mindset. I totally agree. I think the days of, and this is my personal opinion, you know, I'm not basing it on research. I'm just basing it on what I hear as I travel around the country and do certain things. I just think those days, pure radio are gone. And I don't know if they're ever coming back. Um, For instance, if you just take um, your average commercial radio station, it's pretty much syndicated. You know, you may have, you know, everything's like a cluster of stations you know, all in one building, um, computer-generated, uh, one program director running three or four stations, um, everything is voice track. Everything is, I mean, I don't, I just don't think, um, I just don't know, of, 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 you know, you can probably count them on one hand, those stations that are informing that, you know, what they used to be. And I know things change, you know, and I'm not saying I'm an old head and, and we don't have to, to adjust to, you know, to, to things now, but... I don't know if those, those stations exist anymore, man. I really don't. Yeah, and I sometimes wonder if they exist even among, like I said, among the college stations. I remember when I was at Central's radio station and a lot of our announcers were community-based announcers and things of that nature. But, but even those stations are going toward a more, um, like I said, hey, syndicated kind of programming and like, things of that nature. Yeah. I won't name the station because I, I'm not trying to talk about it in a negative way. But public, I mean, there should be a difference in how a public radio station sounds and how a commercial radio station sounds. And there are a lot of public radio stations that you can't tell the difference. And I just think, you know, I don't think public radio was meant to be that way. And so, I mean, you know, I think, yeah, college stations have gotten away from, um, you know, you know, but then again, you know, maybe I'm an old head and, you know, I'm old fashioned, but I just, you know, what, what, you know, we weren't raising up the name Tom Joyner. Tom Joyner retires, and who's the next Tom Joyner? You know, no disrespect to to Ricky Smiley, but Ricky Smiley's not the next Tom Joyner. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what Tom did for black radio and what Tom did for for raising dollars for for historically black colleges and universities and always, you know, giving us that voice of the black community, I mean, that's gone. And I'm not saying that, that, that Ricky will not be able to do it. I'm not saying that, but, you know, you know, Ricky and Tom are two good people. <laughs> that, so I don't, I don't know. You know, I just like you say, I don't want to get into the negative thing when it comes to radio. But I just, I just not sure what radio. You know, you know, I'm not sure what radio is headed these days. And how do you feeling about the? Because I've had the pleasure of talking 
to Woody King um, going to the National Black Theater Festival every other every other year. So I just went last year. The next one will be 2021. Some years get to enjoy the full endeavor of it, like getting to spend days there, particularly when mom was living in Winston-Salem. But then some years, like the last two times, maybe lucky if I get a day or two, get a chance to hang mm-hmm. out with Petri Bird and things of that nature, but still getting the flavor for the National Black Theater Festival. And I was just wondering, in terms of our theater around the country, you definitely said that you see a lot of its growth in the Midwest and in places that may not get it all that often, but are, are you feeling good about the vibe about theater now in terms of black theater, or are you concerned about that as well? And also, how are you feeling we're doing in terms of education? Because education is another very important issue. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like that theater is on the way. I think theater is making a comeback, in my opinion, um, because we went through this, you know, like you could see a church on every corner. We went through that. You see a black stage play, you know, in every market for a while. And then when the market crashed, you know, if you're doing theater now, I think you have to be creative. I think you have to have a purpose. So I think the ones that are doing theater now, um, it is, you know, they're doing it for a purpose, and it's, and it's totally different. So I, I kind of think that, you know, live theater is on the comeback. I hope that you're right, because I'm a, definitely a big fan of live theater. Uh, Garrett, I definitely want you to stay on the call and everything. Like I said, I definitely, as I told you when I invited you, we yeah. always have multiple guests, and I've got a motivational yeah. speaker that is uh, called in. Good. So, But before we get you appreciate off, your time, in man. terms of this, I would love for you to give your uh, contact information yeah, and the website sure. and things of that nature. But definitely stay on because there might even be some dialogue and some shared conversation with you and Mr. Bumpus. But if you would, uh, definitely share with the audience how they can reach you. And uh, if you want to say a couple of the theater productions and where they're coming, if anything is coming in the next month or two, that's also really cool if you want to do that. Great. So you can follow me on gdavisproductions.net. That's gdavisproductions.net. On Facebook at Garrett Davis. Uh, we've got several, you know, productions that are touring simultaneously. Daddy's Boys, Mama's Girls, Forget Me Not, Sisters at Heart, Clearly Invisible. Um, we kick off our touring season March the 21st in Durham with Daddy's Boys. It's a free event at um, the um, Carolina Theater. Tickets are free. Um, you know, we'll, you know, you can just go to that website. We'll let you know. You can register for tickets right now by going to that website, gdavisproductions.net or daddysboys.net. And man, thanks a lot for everything. And we'll hang around for a while. All right. Uh, just real quickly before, I definitely want you to hang around. But real quickly before getting to Mr. Uh, Bumpers and Bumpers and everything, um, what is Daddy's Boys about? I know that I read a little bit. Daddy's with Boys. Our listeners, might be yeah, listening. Okay, Daddy's Boys is about is about a, a father who has prostate cancer. He has three sons, and he's trying to be the father he needs to be for them. He's always he's always been there for them financially, but he hasn't been there, been there for them emotionally, and so they're trying to work through their relationships when he finds out he has prostate cancer. Um, very very touching um, production, funny. The singing in it is off the chain. You would love it, and um, you can go to Daddy's Boys D A D D Y S B O Y S. Dot net for more information on that particular play as well. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Definitely appreciate you being on. Um, Gene, if you want to, you can drop a spot in there real quick, and then we'll bring in Gerald Bumpus, who is a uh, life coach and things of that nature. Okay, no problem. Daryl Bumpus will be with us in just one second right after this commercial break. This is Nikki Hall. 
founder of Simply Radiant LLC, a woman with great passion and skill to make you look and feel better. Meet me where you are. Let's take it to another level, a new you. See you soon. Call 919-971-6243. Make your place today. All right, Mr. Bumper, welcome to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. You are now on the line, sir. How you doing, Mr. Bumpers? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm above ground. I'm above ground, Mark. If you're above ground, you went in. If you're breathing, you went in, man. Life is great. I, I have no complaints. My, my heart is doing cartwheels, sir. That's a good thing that your heart is doing cartwheels. I think that you do have a quick question to ask you and everything. But before I get to that, I did want to make one other quick comment about Sister Nikki, who was that last ad was about. And this is actually for both you and um, Garrett, who's still on the line and everything. Uh, Nikki Hall, in addition to being a uh, makeup artist and that other long title that I'm not going to butcher because sometimes there are words that even I, a long-time radio person, will butcher if I try to say it. So I'm not going to try to say it because I'll probably kill it. So, But in addition to doing that work in the makeup field, she is an actress and has had some long-time troubles and concerns of her own. She has been divorced and a divorcee and the divorce was because of all kinds of things going on in her life. So she is now the single mother of four kids, four adult kids, and I believe she just had her seventh, if I remember correctly, seventh grandkids. So she's working on writing some scripts about some of the things that she went through in that marriage because apparently the marriage had some very rocky times and things of that nature. So I'm definitely going to have to put her in touch with you, Mr. Bumpus, as well as you, Garrett, because she has a very rich story that she would like to share with the world, and she just recently performed back around Christmas at Hillside as part of that Black Nativity play that a number of churches do around the country, the Langston Hughes famous work and everything. So she played one of the uh, secondary characters in that and is trying to get back into her acting and her playwriting. So do look out for her, and I will try to put both of you in touch with her because she is definitely trying to do some very positive things in the theater world. And as she says, I've got a a story to share and a story that she feels will inspire a lot of people that might be in some kind of situations that they would like to see themselves get out of because I think there might have been some uh, abuse. It might not have even been physical. It might have been some emotional and mental abuse, but there was definitely some abuse involved, and she wants to share her story. So I think that any time the folks are willing to share their story and turn it into a positive versus a negative by showing people what was done right and what could be done better, I think that that's always a wonderful thing. Uh, now, Mr. Bumpus, you, uh, one of the things you talk about is overcoming the fear of failure. You've heard, heard Garrett, he had hardly no fear of failure since he started off doing these plays and being a performer way back in our high school, college kind of days and then doing it as a uh, young uh, program director and now, of course, just blowing up the theater world. But talk a little bit about what you talk about when you're saying overcome the fear of failure and how a lot of times we get in our own way. Because I do know that I sometimes do that. I've talked to friends of mine about that. There have been a number of jobs that I probably should have applied for that I talked myself out of, and, and then later on I would find out either that somebody else got the job or I was never made aware of the job. But So those are kind of ways that we can talk our way into the fear of failure and not necessarily being all that we can be. And uh, there are folks like Garrett, folks like the now late great Kobe that definitely did not seem to have that problem. So definitely talk to us about what your message is. Well, first, I want to say, uh, Mark, I, I thank you and I appreciate you and, and Dean for 
giving me the sending me the invitation to uh to come on this uh this amazing show and to speak to your your awesome audience. Uh and to uh Mr. Davis, I wanna say I, I commend you and I applaud uh you for stepping into your blueprint and, and getting out of your own way and, and finding your purpose. I mean, you know how many people uh on this this earth will never find what their true purpose really is. You know, that, that's a, uh, that, that, that's, that's, it's, 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 it's kind of almost sad, you know, that you will not actually realize the reason why you were placed on this earth, the reason why you were brought into this life. And I'm sure even with Kobe at times, he, uh, uh, may he, uh, uh, rest in power, uh, that he dealt with, uh, uh, Fears and, and and getting in his own way, or so you could see some of the interviews that he's had. He uh, admitted how. Uh, I mean, listen, becoming great isn't an easy road. <laughs> we all know that. And, and 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 what I tell a lot of my clients is that um, the road to success is a lonely road. The road to success is a lonely road. Not everyone will understand your journey. You know, I, I recall when I started uh, uh, my own journey, you know, there were so many people that I wanted to, to, to put in the boat with me to, to reach that destiny. And after a while, I started realizing that maybe the boat was just made for me right now. But you have other people well, that I, I call. Can you hear me? Yes. Hear you loud and clear. Yes, okay, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's funny because the title of my first book is called I Know You Hear Me, But Are You Listening? <laughs> I Know You Hear Me, But Are You Listening? And the, and, and the reason why I titled that is because to speak to your, your question is that a lot of times our intuition is speaking to us. A lot of times whoever you may believe in, the higher power, is speaking to us. But at times, you know, we, 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 we're quick to get on our knees and pray and ask for things uh, and, and we're quick to jump up and not really give it time or, or sit there and wait for the answer. And and, and we well, interfere with that blueprint, that blueprint that thought. The, 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 the Celestine prophecy says the problem in life isn't finding the right answer. It's identifying the right questions. Once you get the questions right, the answers will always come. So you just have to get the questions right. And a lot of times we interfere with our blueprint or with our purpose because we're, 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 we're looking for answers instead of asking the right questions. And we end up getting in, 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 in our own way. And sometimes don't you think that we sometimes ask the wrong people the questions? Because I think that sometimes even what's happened in my life, and I'm sure it's happened in Dean, and probably even in Garrett's life, is that sometimes we're so busy hearing the negatives or hearing the comments from others that are discouraging us, that we internalize what they're saying, and they may have their own selfish reasons for giving us this negative input, but because it's negative input, we're taking it at face value, even though we don't even want to understand why they might even have the motive to give us that negative input. Because, I mean, I love dearly, and Garrett has mentioned them several times, my parents and everything, and I definitely think that they lead me in the right direction. But I do know that there are some folks, it might be parents, it might be friends, they might be giving them advice that is not the best advice for them, and then they wonder why they're not succeeding when they're getting when they're listening to advice that may not be the best advice for them in their circumstances. Indeed, I, you know, I like to say to my clients is that 
uh, you know, you can't go to sheep um, because sheep will always, it's all sheep want to do is be led to water, to tell you, you know when to drink, to be told when to drink, and when to eat. This is the mentality of sheep. But if you want to be a shepherd, you have to hang around shepherds. You have to, and shepherds are leaders. Shepherds lead, lead the sheep. So you can't go to the sheep because the sheep are projecting their insecurities. I know we all value, you know, our, our loved ones and our, our family members and our significant others, our spouses or, or girlfriends, boyfriends, and, you know, we value their opinion. But at times we have to understand that their opinion may not always be of your best interest. Because not everyone has always seen success right in front of them. And when you start to become successful, they may not be able to understand how to deal with that. So their response at times can be in a negative way. And they may not even realize it. Just just subliminally, they may be trying to project um, a, a negative opinion to you. Yeah, I like that. Where, I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, go ahead and finish your thought. No, I was just saying that at times we, we really have to be careful and aware of the uh, information that we uh, seek because not everyone has your best interest. Not everyone wants you. You know, the world wants you to believe that everyone loves a winner, and that's not really the case. That is not really the case. I, I can imagine when your parents told people they were doing the unheard. It was unheard of them to someone, a black, a black couple, going to start a, 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 a radio station. I mean, it's just like you're talking uh, uh, uh alien or something. Oh so no, and Gary can tell you that, no, they definitely did not get that kind of warm fuzzies from the town of Warrington. Warrington is definitely a small rural community, and not only did they start a radio station, but neither one of my parents at the time had a background in radio. My dad's background at the time was in engineering, and I'm not talking about radio and engineering, and mom's background was actually as a guidance counselor. Hmm. Mm. But they, but they, look what had happened is, what had happened was that they listened to the radio station at that time, which would have been like in the 70s, and they basically listened, and they were big jazz fans, and they didn't hear any jazz on the station. So I actually went to speak to some uh, high school here locally about a month and a half ago, and I told the hip-hop folks that same thing. I was basically like, you you turn on the radio, kind of like what we were talking about with Garrett, you don't hear what you want to in the hip-hop world, then you might have to start your own. It might not be a radio station because radio stations can be very expensive, but it might be like a satellite radio station. It might be a podcast. It might be a low-power radio station. But if you're not finding what you want on the air, no matter what it is that you want, like whether you want country, whether you want hip-hop, but if you're not finding it in the normal channels, sometimes you have to create your own. But that was kind of my parents' mentality. And then they've gone on to others. Mom is now retired, but before retiring, she was a major philanthropist. And the, and the first president of the Golden Leaf Foundation, and Dad is now a well-known local artist. So they definitely have still kept that same kind of drive going well into their – well, Dad is about to hit uh, around the 80 mark, and uh, um, Bob is uh, not that far behind. I mean, I, I love their story. I love – I mean, to have the audacity to believe, <laughs> the nerve of them to believe that they can create something – the nerve of them to believe 
that they can change the narrative. The narrative to believe that our great 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 grandkids will be speaking about us years from now, saying, "Look at what our grandparents did." You know, look, look, look exactly. at what our grandparents did. You know, so for them oh, yeah. to step into their blueprint, I just want to touch on uh, uh, Mr. Davis when he was speaking about um, uh, um, uh, it wasn't the colon, I, I believe it was uh, prostate. I'm sorry, uh, um, yes. prostate or so. You know, this is something that that we have to understand. That I believe it was Lauren Hill that said. Um, how are you going to win if you ain't right within? Right? Mm. Warren Buffett said the best investment you can make is investing in yourself. So all the material things that we see on the outside, it's just byproducts of your success. But before you can actually achieve and, and enjoy that success, you have to work within. You have to work within. Yeah, I don't think enough of us do that because I know a lot of times we get so caught up in the rat race of trying to be successful that we don't really think about um, the internal and the health aspect of what we're doing and things of that nature. Cause sometimes we're so caught up in the immediate gains of what's going on that we're trying to get that quick dollar or that fast buck, not thinking about how that's going to impact you on the long run. Right. So right. tell us, uh, how, how did you get into motivational speaking? And just tell us a little bit about your personal history. And I'm actually going to look up an article that dealt with what we're talking about in terms of that kind of the the physical health being just as important as the mental. But if you would, Mr. Bumpus, tell us a little bit about your own personal story and how you got involved in doing this kind of work and some of the clients that you're working with. In the beginning, I uh, – in the beginning, right? <laughs> In the beginning, I uh, I had my own clothing company or so, and menswear. Uh, we sold to um, uh, most of the stores that you know of, uh, Macy's and, and all these other different big box stores. Uh, so I was on the high. I mean, I, I, I you know we uh, we had our clothes manufactured all over the world and and, and sold in, in, in various stores, big box stores. And um, one day, uh, I found myself uh, in my father's hospital room and he was uh laying in his bed in his hospital bed and he was dying of uh of lung cancer so he he looked at my mother and he looked at me and, and he called his mother and i told him uh it's okay you can go and, and he took his last breath well so it shook it shook my it shook my world it shook my foundation you know my my hero my best friend was gone mm. so I began to uh, 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 write in my journal and I decided I, I can hear my my father saying that someone needs to to read what you're writing someone needs to hear what you're writing. So we turned the journal into a, a, a book, and we turned the book into a, a bestseller, and we turned the bestseller into number one best-selling author. So I'm saying that to say that, to speak to uh, Miss uh, Nikki, that we all have a story in us, and don't be selfish and not to share it. Someone out there needs to hear her story, whether it be in the book or in the play, preferably both. 
but someone somewhere is at the end of their road, and they need to hear her story. Because you have no idea the people that stopped me in the in in uh, airport or uh, through my travels and say that, you know, your book saved my life. That wasn't my intent. My intent was just to write my words down uh, in my journal, but it was also therapeutic. So the book led me into uh, speaking. And I get really a, 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 a joy to see that my blueprint is and my purpose is to help people get out of their own way because there are so many of us in this world that are not experiencing a peace of mind and happiness. There are so many of us in this world that is walking around overweight. And I don't mean overweight. Physically, I mean overweight emotionally. We are carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. And I speak to that experience because one day I woke up and I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and the left side of my face was twisted. Mm. And I, I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a stroke. Come to find out it was, it was Del Palsy or it is Del Palsy. But it was my mind and my body and my spirit telling me, you better get your life together or we're going to take you out of here. Well. So I had and to get my life together. And oftentimes it's kind of like what both you and Garrett have talked about. We don't listen to those warning signals. I mean, the body is always giving us warning signals about different things. And because of our own biases about medicine and things of that nature, we don't listen to those warning signals and the body and the mind are oftentimes going to tell us what's going on, but we don't want to listen to those. And the other thing I'm just curious from you, Mr. Bumpus, do you ever uh, get tired? Because you talk about the title of your book, Are You Really Listening? I'm sure that sometimes when you listen to some of these people that are the supposed leaders of the free world, that you must really think that they're not listening either. Because sometimes I think that they enjoy talking to themselves in whatever form they feel like talking whether that's a tweet or a Facebook message or whatever, versus actually trying to listen to the rest of the world that's trying to tell them stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 Mark, I, I consider uh, a, a category of people expert complainers. That's all they want to do. If it's raining outside, if, it, if they wish the sun come out, the sun come out, they wish it was raining. So whatever it is, if you're in January, they can't wait until March get here. March get here, they can't wait until July. So there are people in the world that's just expert complainers. No matter what it is, what is going on, if you give them a million dollars, they say, how come you didn't give me a million and one? So no whatever it is, they're going to they're gonna complain something out. But the root of that is that they are going through something internally. They are going through something internally, and they're, they're not listening to their body. And their body is telling them that, listen, you need to straighten it out. You know, years ago, our, our grandparents used to tell us, you know, would say that, you know, someone is full of ish. And now I really understand that it just wasn't a, a, phase, a phrase. They really meant that. You know, you, you, can be, have, you can have so many toxins just alone in your colon that will affect you mentally. Yes. It will yeah, block you and it will distract you. It will distract you from becoming uh, the best version that you want to be. 
Um, well, I'm going to share this article with both of you. Um, but, Garrett, um, if you're still on the phone and everything, have you ever had these kind of uh, situations where you had to stop yourself from doubting yourself? Or did you just kind of, like, jump right into it? Or, or were you kind of like what Daryl was talking about where there were, and what I mentioned, where there were times that you might have stopped yourself from having whatever that glory was that you did not, that you don't have, that you did not get? Hello? Hello? All right, it it seems like Mark escaped from us or his phone dropped. So, Mr. Bumper, are you still on the line? Yes, I am. I'm Okay. And we'll see if we can get Mark back in one second and uh hold tight. We'll be right back. Hey y'all, the straight talk with Dana Mark. Bass players, best thing you can do for your overall sound. You've got to see this. New Bass Tone Incorporated makes Nightwalker bass guitar tube preamps. This preamp will give your sound such a boost, it's just incredible. Try it today. Try it today now. A great sounding bass guitar will make for a great sounding band. Make your band sound at its best. Best thing you can do for your bass guitar sound. NewBassTone.com NewBassTone.com Are you looking to make your next event sizzle? Then you want to get in touch with Lee Entertainment. Mark Lee, the founder of Lee Entertainment, has worked with such notable festivals as the Art of Cool, the National Black Theater Festival, the Bull Durham Blues Festival, and the Durham Centerfest, as well as the Festival of the Eno. And definitely can provide you with some great entertainers as well as help you make your event sizzle if you're looking forward to trying to have an event in your town. Mark Lee is willing to travel anywhere in this country to make your event sizzle and has entertainers that are also willing to travel as well. So if you're looking for quality entertainment, definitely get in touch at bluesradio at gmail.com. All right, we're back. Hey, Mark, you there? I'm back. I don't know what happened. We lost yeah, Garrett some kind like of way, but escaped. I'll, I'll he, escaped. He, he left. He he left the call a, a while ago, man. I think he may have had to go do something. So all right, know. that's no problem. So that so those things happen, but yeah, somehow we disappeared on that and everything. But I do see that we have Alexandria Valadares on the line as well. Yes, hi, yes, Mark. Yes, we do. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, you know providing flexibility. 
No problem. Glad to have you all there. And definitely sorry I missed that meeting that you were having earlier today about climate change and trying to make some changes with our own climate here in Durham, but also being part of the bigger climate change things that are going on around the world and things of that nature. And by the way, Dean, we've had Alexandria on before, but Alexandria is going to run for school board. So I'm back in her campaign. I think that everybody should. She's an amazing lady, and she's definitely got kids of her own and definitely will be a great voice for our youth. So we need that voice and the voice that will represent various communities, not just the community that she comes from. Some people may consider that the Latin community or the Latinx community, but I think that she will represent everybody from the African-American to the European-American students to just all the students that will need that voice heard. So I think personally that she will be a great voice for us in the community. Thank you, Mark. I mean, this is my this is my community right here, the Bull City. Everybody who lives in this Bull City, like this, uh, this, this Durham community that has, uh, has has nourished me and has made me who I am. You know, uh, graduating from here, from Hillside High, going to NCCU, um, getting degrees from there, uh, working at Duke, and then just being in different parts of the city. You know, it's like just interacting with my neighbors, just knowing that we have so many things to strive for, so many, so many things to advocate for and changes to come. Um, and that these conversations that I've been having for so many years and the work that we've done together just in the community has, has definitely brought me to this point where, you know, it's, it's time to, to, to implement some of these decisions at a higher level. Definitely, and we definitely need to do that and implement them on that level that you're talking about and things of that nature. What made you decide that you wanted to run for school boards? Because, like I said, I know that you've definitely been involved in a number of things. Education is important to you. But what made you decide this time that this is the office that you wanted to put your feet in the uh, race for and get your feet wet in this particular kind of concern? Yeah, so, Mark, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people that it's it's almost like a ladder. You know, it starts with steps. And, you know, as a parent of, of two children in Durham Public Schools, you know, my first, you know, steps were, were reaching out to the teachers, you know, from the teachers reaching out to the principals, from the principal then going to central office and interacting with, you know, the, the school relations department, the communications department, you know, the chief deputy superintendent, doctor, you know, it, it's like whoever was in these roles, you know, advocating for my child and um, learning about, like, the way the school system works and, and, and about the superintendent who's hired by the board. Um, and going to school board meetings and all that. So it's, it's been a long time coming in terms of, um, you know, my involvement in schools and committees. Um, letting letting my my uh, my community, like, building networks within my community, like allowing for um, the communication to be improved. And I think that that's one of the that's one of the areas that I have seen since the years that I've been in, in schools. I've seen more parents starting to advocate for their kids. And we, we, we don't need to stop that momentum. We need to continue to build ways for parents to advocate. We need to uh, continue to support um, our, our teachers, support our students, support the, the learning community that we have here in Durham. But to, to your question about what made me run, what made me run um, was, was literally the community asking me to do so. So for many years, as I was, you know, participating in committees, they're like, you know, when are you going to run? And, and to me, it, was a, it became a joke. It's like, ha, 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 you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's not something that I'm going to do. But um, the last few weeks, uh, you know, of this, of this, of this election, um, I did have some heart-to-heart talks with people that I trusted, uh, organizers in the community who were telling me, Alexandra, do you realize your privilege? Do you realize that you, um, you know, you, you're, you, you came from, from, from humble beginnings, like many of us, and you are uniquely positioned to 
advocate for the things that you know that you have that you have experienced that you have lived. Um, you don't have any constraints. Like you know, there, there's nothing precluding you from going for office. Why is it that you don't want to do it? You know, there, there's there's so much that that we can gain from that. And so the the person that was telling me this, and and there were many other people, but this person um, is a person who, you know, is is, is is doesn't yet have status. You know, they don't have status. Um, and they're just, just kind of like telling me that you, you can do this, that you, you actually can go for this, um, you, you know, and, and just prompted me to do it. So I took that to heart and I was like, you know, super grateful and super thankful. Um, there were other conversations with moms who were telling me, like, you know, telling me about their struggles and inviting me to come and join them as, as an advocate in these processes where kids are sent to alternative schools, you know, to the alternative school that we have Lakeview. And sitting in there and it's like realizing that, our parents are always advocating and asking for things, but there's nobody on the board that represents, nobody on the board that, um, you know, that, that, that has direct connections with, with a, a part of our community. And because I'm, I'm to represent everybody, but there's a part of our community that is 32.8% that has never seen not even one principal that looks like them. We have zero principals in the district that look like the Latino community. Um, and we don't have any board members that look like us. So they were telling me about this. Um, the day of filing, the last day of filing, uh, Friday, January 20th, no, sorry, December 20th, um, I was sitting in a coffee shop with a candidate, and we were just talking about some of the concerns for families, and we were having, you know, just the discussion of the work that we've done um, to dismantle the school to prison pipeline, um, the reasons why, we're, why we do the work, and then she's running, and, I, and I'm just sitting there as somebody who's not running in that moment, and... Um, and she tells me, she's like, you know, help me understand some of these dynamics, help me understand this. And as we started talking, you know, just it just dawned on me that, you know, that, that there's so many stories that I have, so many experiences um, and so, many, so much insight. And, and, and not just insight, but also the willingness and the energy to put forth as much work as is needed and required to do this job. And I'm sitting there, she's like, why didn't you run? She's like, maybe in four years, maybe in four years, you know. Just tell me why, you know, why didn't you run? Maybe four years you can run. And um, as I'm listening to her, one of the trusted people that I, that, I, that I see comes into the coffee shop where I'm sitting, you know, talking to this, um, this wonderful candidate who's, who's also uh, running unopposed, by the way. She's running unopposed. And as I'm sitting there with her, this person walks in and says, here are two of my favorite parent advocates. And he greets us and he looks at her and he says, congratulations you know, on your run, and he's super excited about her run, and he looks at me, and he's like, did you file? And when he says that, I I was, I said, no. I look at him, and I'm like, no. And so he, 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 you know, looks at his watch, and he says, you have 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes. He's like, go. Um, there is something about, I, I am very open, I am very open to, to, you know, the, the, the words that are words of wisdom, and words of truth, and I'm also very open to those those uh, promptings of the spirit or promptings, you know, it, that feel so right, that feel like that there's something to them. So when I when I heard him say go, you have 30 minutes to go, there was there was something that's undeniable. Like I, I I didn't have any other recourse. I was like, you know what, I I hear it. I, I I'm I'm hearing it. I've been hearing it for a while, and I wasn't listening. Like I was I was hearing it on and on and off for my community asking me to do this. Uh, a lot of people who I care about and love ask me to do this. Um, but when, when, when this person comes in at that time, 30 minutes before closing, before the last filing, and tells me, you have 30 minutes, go, I, I just, I had to get up. And I, and I got up and I made, I made my way to the Board of Elections 
being unprepared. You know, I, I didn't have anything. I did not wake up thinking that I was going to file for office that morning. I knew that there was a lot of work to be done. And so I knew that I had a meeting where I was going to talk to a candidate about the work that needed to be done. And what turned out and what ended up happening was that now we're going to do hopefully this work together, you know, um, with as many um, board members for, for the benefit of our kids. So, you know, it's a beautiful story going to the board of elections and coming in there and I'm late, you know, it's like, I'm thinking that maybe they're not going to let me in. And everything was, everything was almost like supernaturally like uh, synchronized because when I come in there, the lady who she's, she's there in, in the front and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm like, am I late? And she's like, nope, nope. She's like, we, we, you know, you still have time. And out uh, was walking, um, you know, out, out, out there, there, there were two people, two men that I respect. Um, one is the current chair of the Human Relations Commission, and the other one was the previous chair, um, not the last term, but the term before the last one. He was the chair also of the Human Relations Commission. And um, so it was Phil Side and, and uh, John Rooks. So John Rooks is uh, John Rooks and Phil Side are walking out as I'm walking in. And it was just the, 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 the timing of that. I mean, I could have missed them. Had I come in like a few minutes earlier, they were walking out. I'm walking in, and I run into them, and they see me. And they're like Alexandra, <laughs> and they're like you're filing awesome. They're like we're 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 gonna we're gonna be with you. And they stayed with me the whole time. It was almost like the hand holding, right? The assurance that I'm not doing this for myself. There's a community that is behind me, and there were people who I care about and who I look up to who are there for me too. And so the whole time that I was filling out the paperwork, they were they were there with me. Don Rips was taking pictures, you know, <laughs> and 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 just encouraging me. And Phil Side was there too. And it's you know. It was it was quite an emotional thing to know that I didn't I didn't do this because it just dawned on me that I that I wanted to do it, you know. Um, I had to call Giovanna after um, after I filed and, and 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 she was calling me. I had been missing her calls and she was like, "This is amazing." She's like, "We were sitting in a in a coffee shop. Giovanni and I were Giovanni and I were sitting in a coffee shop talking about the needs of our families, the needs of our kids." And she's the candidate. I'm a parent, and I'm just, like, telling her, Giovanni, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And now, you know, I call her, and I'm just, Giovanni, I'm, I'm, running, for, I'm running for school board. And it was just, like, this thing where it's, like, this is, this is, this is I'm running for school board now. So that's wow. my story. My, my story is, uh, is a story of timing and purpose and a lot of community support that I'm super grateful for. Definitely. And, and Daryl, it sounds like she was definitely having that kind of thoughts that you were having where you just have to kind of leap right into it or get these signals from outside sources of the universe and things of that nature that you were talking about before Alexandria joined our phone call. So it sounds like she's directly an example of what you've been talking about. Yeah, she stepped into her blueprint. <laughs> That's a perfect example. She stepped right into her into, into her blueprint. And I just want to say, Ted Precio, I mean, you, you did it. Ay, gracias. <laughs> you did it. You did it. Te precio, con Dios, te bendiga. You know, gracias you did it. Igualmente. You did it. You did it, you know. So uh, um, she's, she's an example of how to get out of your own way. And, again, she's changing the narrative. Look at her community. The community is saying that, well, if she, you know, what I always tell my, my clients is that someone is always watching you. Someone is always watching you. You have to decide what are you going to show them. Right. Yeah, that's that's and real true. Always... Yeah. 
Yep. She's showing him that she's going to go out there and do it. And things of that nature. I, with the article I was getting ready to bring up that I wanted, and actually you can also comment on it, but I'll bring it up for Daryl, which we were talking about, um, and I also want to learn more about the climate change stuff that you were doing today, Alexandria. But we are talking about the nature of health. That's part of what um, Garrett, who was our first guest, does with his plays and everything. And one of the articles that came out this weekend in the USA Today was about how we love the gig economy. We love the fact that a lot of people are working at home, but it can lead to social isolation, mental and physical health risks. So, I mean, of course, it was a, um, an insurance company that came up with this story, Signia. And, of course, I'm sure they have their own reasons for doing it. But what they're saying actually makes a lot of sense. It says Americans are getting lonelier and jeopardizing their health as more join the gig economy or skip the commute to an office. A report out Thursday found the percent of people classified as lonely increased from 54% in 2018 to 61% in 2019. The company, uh, Signia, which released its first research in 2018, decided to focus on the workplace because Americans spend so much time toiling, about 90,000 hours in a lifetime. So they did this. They have this loneliness scale and this 20 questions. But they said loneliness is a growing concern in healthcare as it can compromise both mental and physical health along with contributing to depression and suicide risk. Loneliness can lead to heart disease, diabetes, and dementia, said Dr. Doug Nemesek, Signia's chief medical officer for behavioral health. It increases the risk of death by the same amount as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, he noted. So it looks like even though we love the gig economy, it is also doing a lot of things that are hurting us in terms of um, not paying attention to our health, which is one of the things that we were talking about, Daryl. Yeah, I believe that it's uh, it's eliminating the uh, intimacy that we have with one another. You know, I, I love I love technology. Technology is, is you can embrace it for your use, but I believe that the the, 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 the con of it is that uh, we're not as personal as we used to. I mean, it's to a point now where you may not have seen someone for maybe thirty years, twenty years or so. And we're so much walking with our head down. I was taught to keep your head up so you can see your blessings coming, right? But we're so much used to walking and with our head down that I may walk right past you, Mark, and not even realize, like, I haven't seen Mark in 30 years. But because I'm so married to this phone and so married to technology, that a friend that I grew up with, just Mark just walked right past me. Yep, you're right. So I, that, I think we, we, we have to be conscious and, and, and aware of, again, I just have to emphasize the uh, how we invest ourselves, how we invest our time. Yep, no doubt about that. Alexandra, tell us a little bit about the climate thing. Like I said, I knew I had to get here, and we actually just, a measurement is back in uh, my other job is back in getting into sports and getting back into regular routine of winter work that we do every winter and most of the spring, part of the spring. So getting back into that cycle, I was not able to make it to the meeting, but it definitely looked like y'all are trying to do some great things revolving around the climate and particularly around here in Durham. But I'm sure that you're also going to be in touch with people like AOC and others around the country so that it is a part of this global movement and everything. But tell us a little bit about the meeting, what the meeting was about, and um, how that might even play in your school board run. Oh, Definitely. I mean, I was uh, super grateful that we had great turnout. We had people coming out and just expressing, you know, their take on, on what are the issues that we need to be fighting for or issues that we need to come together around. You know, like um, one of the things was transportation. You know, we had uh, the city and county 
um, and many constituents in Durham had had ideas about the light rail project. And now that that's not that you know that's not happening, then what do we do about transportation? What are some of the ways? So, um, you know, there there are folks who came out there because that that was their thing. They wanted to talk about transportation. You know, we have the affordable housing crisis. Um, we have like the McDougal Terrace situation with sewage behind the buildings. We have um, carbon monoxide. Um, we have like an infestation of, of, of roaches and and um, and also just just lack of repair, of the neglect and, and lack of repair of public housing facilities. And so one of the things is like how um, can we ensure that 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 we are advocating and that we are not leaving people out when we're talking about environmental racism. That's that's environmental racism when you have sewage, you have sanitation that is not being um, you know uh, unsanitary. Uh, living conditions you know it's environmental racism and there's neglect and so some of these topics and when we hear about what's happening in other places it's happening here in durham so there are a lot of folks who were there looking at public housing and looking at ways that our group can work towards that and so um many 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 thoughts many great ideas the the best ideas come from directly affected folks um you know there's also people who care and people who are allies and what we've seen with with mcdougal terrace is that a lot of people have volunteered and they've stepped up, stepped up to, to provide um, support. So this is this is a way to kind of break away from the silos. This is a way, for, you know, just building on what you were talking about, the article, people who are isolated. You know, we should be really intentional about ensuring that we are not isolating any community, any family, or, or any individual at whatever level. You know, if there's any group that is not at the table, we need to start looking at who's not at the table. And that was something that we asked tonight. We're like, you know, we want to make sure that – the people who are showing up to talk about climate change, environmental racism, that we are, you know, including as many voices. And the room had good representation, and we had a good start. And this is just the beginning. So we're going to continue to work to amplify voices. We're going to continue to offer, you know, the invitation and put it out for community members to speak on what environmental racism looks like to them. You know, what does it look like if you live in East Durham? What, what are some of the concerns that are happening in East Durham? You know, what are the concerns that are happening uh, in different in different neighborhoods? You know, what does it look like in public housing? What does it look for like in, um, you know, the, 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 the Fayetteville Street Corridor and, and many other places, you know? So these are conversations that are that need to be community-driven. Um, these are conversations you need to be having. Um, another topic that was there was one that is with schools and how to, how to have energy-efficient um, solar panels, uh, you know, schools, schools that are energy efficient and have solar panels. So the, for the first part, you know, just realizing that our school district is not energy efficient at all. You know, um, knowing that we don't have adequate staffing, that it, it has been almost going on two years that we have not had uh, an energy sustainability coordinator, which we used to have, and that there's nobody looking at, you know, what our, use, our you know, energy use is. I know there was, like, uh, changes in some schools where they were putting lighting. They were moving into LED lights. But those projects, I mean, what is what is the current state of those projects, and what is the, what is an energy audit? Where are those energy audits for you know the, the expenditures that um, are happening at each uh, at the building level? So, lots of questions as to you know are we are we doing the necessary uh, due diligence to find research on best practices? Are we tapping into things that have worked even with our neighbors? We, so somebody was mentioning that Orange County has. You know, a good report that they put out about about how their uh, schools are, are on track for energy and sustainability uh, goals. And so, you know, it's, it's worth us looking into these things. It's worth us also ensuring that our kids are not in trailers. You know, it's like we have kids that are in trailers. So we look at the redistricting. We're looking at so many of these different decisions that 
the school board is, 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 is going to be looking at. I mean, we need to take all these considerations um, into account. We need to look at, um, we, we need to look at, uh, at, at, you know, some, some of these efforts to, to reduce waste and plastic and use of plastic um, in our schools. I know that there uh, don't waste Durham and, um, has come to a couple of schools through PTAs and partnerships with the PTAs. Um, I was actually at Club Boulevard when our PTA was talking about it, and I was super enthused about it. And I went to a Don't Waste Durham meeting um, and was super grateful that that, um, that this partnership could happen. And what it was was that as kids were eating their lunches, you know, we were starting to sort the trash and we were letting the kids know this is compostable. So if, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's uh, food items, they go here. If, you know, if it's, you know, uh, utensils go here. And we were just, you know, teaching kids and modeling for kids what it means to, to, to be environmentally uh, conscious and aware um, and explaining a little bit about the composting. So um, parents could come in during the lunchtime. Um, some parents were coming in and, and some, some, some parents were like, this is a good opportunity to make sure your kids, you know, the kids are actually eating, you know, that there were, there were just so, so much concern for all the oranges that get thrown in the garbage can, you know, that just go in there, the whole pile, like the whole tray kind of goes in there with all the oranges and all the things that it's like, you know, there's a mom who's like, this is this is good to kind of be in here and to kind of see what's happening. Um, so, so many opportunities for people to get involved. The grandparents, you know, we somebody in the group is talking about, you know, the things that grandparents can do because parents are working, but that doesn't preclude other family members from joining and, and volunteering. So, there's so many opportunities, Mark. There's so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, I'm super grateful for this meeting and and for you know the energy that everybody brought to the meeting and and the ideas, the creative ideas that we're going to be building on. One of the things that I know people were really impressed by, particularly with your campaign, and I think it was one or two other campaigns, is there's all the talk all the time here in Durham about the various political action campaigns, the political action committees, and how they're sometimes at the head of each other or at the throats of each other. But in your case, the two that are, I guess, the primary ones that are not don't always necessarily see eye to eye have both endorsed you. So you got the endorsement of both the Durham Affairs and the People's Alliance. So I've noted that probably was something that was exciting to you and everything was that you got not just the endorsement of one of these powerful committees, but both of them, and that they both saw the merits of your campaign. I am super grateful. I'm, I'm telling you, Durham Committee and the Affairs of Black People, People's Alliance, um, you know, it, it just means a lot to me that, you know, that, that, that that's Durham. You know, it's like the people of Durham um, have uh, have given me their vote of confidence in these endorsement meetings. So I'm, I'm super super grateful for that and, and just like I said energize and, and, and continue to have these conversations you know because I realize that this is this is a race you know we have candidates everybody has their own merit you know and the thing is these conversations that we need to have about what what each of us you know brings and and for me it's, it's very clear I've been you know I'm, I'm a part of this community um, you know my, 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 my connections my network my family you know it's like you know where I've been the experiences that have shaped me are very, you know, it's Durham. You know, it's a, there's there's a whole lot in here about being somebody who who graduated from 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 Hillside High School here, and knowing that in the 90s, late 90s, what what that was like. You know, I, there weren't that many Latino students in, in Hillside at that time, and I just you know do remember, you know, uh, starting with 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 my family coming in here and opening a church. You know, in 98, like opening a church and um, and you know, getting lost and, and coming up and, and, and seeing a reverend, seeing a a, a, a a lady preacher who was like, you know, super nice to us and, and, and welcomed us into her church uh, home and said, you know, you can come and have meetings here. You can you can have church in, in my church, you know, and open her doors to us. 
And it's just these stories of, you know, for for me to come in and get the endorsement of the Durham community and the of black people, it's knowing that all along the way people have been opening doors for me, um, that Durham has, has, has given me so much and that I have so much um, in, in terms of, like, commitment and in terms of, of desire and in terms of, uh, you know, just, just, just uh, experience, you know, experience here in, in the city um, that I, I bring all that. I'm, I'm bringing all, all of that into, into whatever role. Um, and in this yeah. case, I am going for the school board seat. And what do you think will be your primary issues that you'll be trying to focus on in the school board race if you had to say one or two issues that will be your primary issues that you want to focus on? Because every candidate and every campaign has certain things that they want to focus on. My platform is DPS. It's DPS, so dismantling the school to prison pipeline, all the pipelines, in whatever ways we are disenfranchising our youth, you know, so uh, prioritizing equity and wellness. I want, you know, what, what does wellness look like for teachers? What does wellness look like for students? What does it mean for people with disabilities? You know, wellness, you know, um, equity. We need to make sure that equity is, is at every level, um, whether it's advanced placement courses, you know, opportunities for uh, immersion in science or, you know, what STEM, which is something that is also near, dear to my heart. I want to make sure that equity is centered every step of the way in every single process that we have. And then supporting marginalized communities. I think that, you know, just... We have we, we, we want to fight against those silos, you know, and, and when you were mentioning people who feel isolated, a lot of our marginalized communities, you can tell who's marginalized by the isolation. So, you know, we have so many Latino parents who feel isolated from the school buildings. You know, they come into the school buildings, they drop off their kids, they're not a part of the community in that school. You know, they're not having the conversations with the teachers, they're not having that. We have a lot of black families who don't feel welcome in certain buildings. You know, they feel like they're 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 marginalized. They feel like they're not you know, at the center of the processes and decision-making that is happening at the schools. We have people, you know, teachers that don't disclose their disabilities because they feel like that's going to lead to, 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 to more problems than they want to deal with. And so for me, it's, it's supporting so that we don't have any silos, so we don't have anybody feeling isolated. So when you were mentioning that article, it really rung true because part of the thing is that we're in this together and we say it, but we need to make sure we show it and we, we implement processes that reduce you know, and, 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 and mitigate against these, these uh, dynamics where we push people out, where we disenfranchise folks, where our own youth are being sent to alternative schools and, and you know, we're not supporting them in their learning and in, in, in their growth. So that's my platform. Yeah, because yeah, it's really interesting because a lot of times people forget how many silos there are. We've talked about this before, even within the different communities. Like, you know, there's the black middle class and the uh, – black lower class and the uh, black wealthy. And there's the definitely the whole light and dark thing that still exists even in the 21st century and everything. And then there's different other kinds of ways that we divide ourselves. And people also try to do the same thing with the Latin community where they try to put all of y'all in one boat knowing good and well that there, I don't even know if you count Central America, how many countries there are, but there's at least, I would think 20 or 25, if not more. Because like I said, I haven't done the count, but I know it's a, I know it's a bunch. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, when we start having conversations with each other, we realize our differences and we realize, like, you know, our perspectives that, you know, and how those are, are shaped differently. It's very different for somebody. Like, for me, like, I, I came to the States when I was five years old. I have the immigrant journey. I walk through deserts, you know. I know what it is like to jump a fence, you know, and it's like that is that is a, a very different thing. It's, and you, you, you talk about trauma in our kids. We talk about, you know, what, what trauma looks like. And for many kids living, in, in like, in the midst of community violence, you know, it's like for a lot of families who come from Central America, 
where we've had climate change affecting flooding our lands, you know, um, not not being able to, 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 to thrive and not being able to live, and you're, and you're fighting for your own life. So, you know, there's all these perspectives of what everybody brings. It's not the same thing as somebody who comes from a, 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 a you know, social class and, you know, gets on a plane and has a, a different entry into this country, and even that, that reception and that uh, receptivity or welcome is very different. So it's, 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 it's the, the policies that we talk about when, uh, you know, we have people in Florida that are voting one way, and their journeys have been maybe a little different. You know, there was like, you know, dry foot, wet foot policies that enabled many people who were immigrants to come in and have housing and have, you know, the supports they needed, but that was not afforded to people coming in through the, through the border, right? So, so many different questions about, like, what those experiences have been. But the reality is that we are different, that we may have different backgrounds, we may have different origin stories, we may have different journeys, but there are, there's something very central to things here in Durham. And the thing that is very central and unifying is that we, we see what's, what's happening. We see what's happening with our youth. We see what's happening with our workforce. We see what's happening with our crime rates. We see what is happening in our communities in terms of safety and, you know, um, just, you know, stabilization and, and, and opportunity. So because we know that these dynamics are happening, regardless of your background, regardless of whether you have, you know, uh, you know, uh, you're a second generation, third generation college student, or you're first generation, you know, uh, you're an English learner, regardless of these things, we, we know what safety means. We know what um, opportunity means. And so can we work together to ensure that we are doing the best for all our kids? Can we, can we, can we ensure that, you know, can we talk to each other and, and figure out, like, for different perspectives? So I, I, like, I like the movements that are bringing black and brown folks together to talk about, like, the fact that uh, I saw a post from um, – you know, a, a, a journalist, and he, he was talking about the journeys. I mean, this is Carl Kenny. He said, you know, he said one of his things is that he, he tells, you know, black families and Latino families, like, to understand each other's journey. For, for Latino families who have had to flee, flee up north, you know, for, for, to, 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 to be able to live, to survive, you know, and, 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 you know, knowing that they're leaving behind, whether their house was flooded or, or you know, there's, there's all these natural disasters that have happened or there's gang violence or there's, all sorts of things that have prompted families to, to weigh, weigh the cost and decide that it's best to run and it's best to go up north. And he, he started talking about just the histories of, like, you know, when we think about the, the United States and slavery and people having to run north, you know, for freedom, for liberation. And if we can share, you know, these stories, we can understand and come to terms that people are going to thrive. People are going to find a way to thrive. Our kids deserve the best opportunities, and we're going to find a way to come together to ensure that they thrive as well, that they, they, they get equipped with, you know, the best knowledge, with the opportunities, that they, they get the skill sets that they need to survive in, 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 this, in this global economy that we have right now. Yep, and one of the great things that I've definitely seen that was a effort of what you're talking about where somebody took an issue and put together a coalition of people that covered the spectrum. I mean, it was everything from the different mediums of artists to the uh, different races of artists was the kind of campaign that Monica has put together to try to make sure that our artist community is paid some sort of uh, equitable wages and that they're not getting short-shafted in the way that they are respected and what she's been doing by going in front of the city council and doing this whole thing with the uh, um, the work sessions and those, uh, those kind of meetings. Cause I went to a, a number of those. I think I went to about five or six of them. And it was just amazing the kind of people that she put together that were across the spectrum. They were, like I said, they were uh, white artists. They were black artists. They were Latin artists. They were different artists from different parts of the community. And they were given their perspective about that important issue. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yes. I, I, so it's good I, seeing I, that. I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alexander. So you know, just uh, you know, just thinking of theme. You know, that I, I told you, like I, I um, I'm invigorated by any initiatives that are about like science and you know um, being environmentally conscious um, people in this global planet, right? That is, that is that is undergoing so much distress, um, and we're seeing like burning forests. We're seeing you know um, climatic change happening, climate change, and so with with all these different things that are happening, um, art. You know how how can we tap into our humanity? How can we look at each other's humanity? And and it, and it is art. You know, it's it's music, it's painting, um, it's it's the artwork that just you know reaches the soul. And so, just thinking about these initiatives at STEM and 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 moving towards theme, in, including art in there, um, helping kids find their expression. There are things that we can say in words, things that we can explain in words. But you know, there's there's definitely something about kids drawing. Putting putting into into artwork, their thoughts, their feelings, and I and I was thinking about like just just the notion of trees, right? I, I have always loved trees. I got to tell you that, um, you know, growing up, like I remember fighting my, my my neighbors when I was in Honduras, and I was still like you know three or four years old. I just still remember, you know, that kids would get up, get get on the tree and pluck the the eucalyptus leaves off of the tree, and I would I would just have this. I would get in a fit and I would say, leave the tree alone. Like, leave the tree. That's my tree. <laughs> but the ideas of, of, of how, um, how trees uh, matter, you know, and, and so we have the city doing this initiative of, you know, becoming, uh, going, uh, working towards 100% renewable energy by 2050, um, getting to 80% by 2030, and then also planting more trees around Durham. Um, you know, I can, I can talk about trees all day long. But there are people who are, oh, yeah. who are drawing, who, who, are, who are using artwork, you know, who are talking about art. They're putting, you know, just, just murals where, where they're, you know, they, they talk about the roots and they'll, talk, they'll tap into culturally, culturally rich topics of like our roots. Where, where, you know, what are our roots, you know, and if, if we can even, you know, get some more insight in, in, into, into, into who we are um, and who, are to, who we are to each other through looking at, um, at the art of trees and the branches and the expansion that we see with trees and then also like knowing that you, you are grounded in, in, in your ancestors. You're grounded in the people who have paved the way for you. You're grounded in those traditions. You're grounded in, in, in so, much, so much richness that comes from that, you know. Um, it's it's, it's uh, expressing, you know, what, like expressing what we, what we feel and what we see in art. Um, and I and I welcome so much of those initiatives that are about letting kids express themselves and letting them share their, share their stories in art. Yeah, because I, I cannot think of the name. I was actually trying to look it up right now of the artist that actually was on the Grammys and was a flamingo artist. Because I was just amazed at her performance and the way that she incorporated flamingo. But that was actually my first time. Like I said, we were talking about earlier about getting away from some of those award shows. So I hadn't seen all the Grammys over the last couple of years, but uh, that performance in the, I wish I could think of the young lady's name, but she incorporated the uh, flamingo because that was part of her growing up was that she grew up in a country that was a flamingo based country. So she incorporated that into her artwork and was there performing among a national crowd and everything. So it was just amazing seeing that kind of performance at uh, last night's um, Grammy Awards as I was watching it on the TV show and everything. Like I said, I'm trying to find the name of that particular performer and everything. Um, and while I'm doing that, 
if you would, real quickly, because we talked about that with the other two, and we did touch on that with you. And, of course, everybody's been talking about the sadness of Kobe and things of that nature. So I do want you to give your thoughts on that as well, because I know that probably really had to hit you really hard. Because, like you said, you had two kids, you have two kids of your own. So I can only imagine what it would have been like if you had heard that not just a uh, significant other had passed away, but also one of your kids had uh, perished in something like that as well. So I imagine that that probably had to touch you as a mom very hard. You know, very sad times. I, I, you know, I actually sat with my, um, you know, he's my supervisor, but it's, 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 uh, we're, we're collaborating on a lot of things and just sitting there with the grief, you know, talking about grief and the fact that, you know, these things happen and, and they touch us in, in, in many ways. You know, we are, we are, um, affected by all the, all the, all the, the, the things that happen with Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's, 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 there's a general sadness, you know, a general sadness about, Knowing that um, that you know a young life was lost, and, and not just not just him, his you know his family, right? Like his daughter, and it's it's just kind of sitting with that, sitting with that pain, um, and acknowledging the grief. I think one of the biggest uh, things that we need to remember is that we we need to make room for grief. Um, that was our conversation today. Like we we just keep you know at a pace where we're not even thinking. We're kind of keep we're in go 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 mode, and these things are happening, and it's like. We're not robots. I mean, we have hearts. We we know that this is painful. We know that um, that it is a loss, you know, a loss of life. And so as we, as we were sitting there, you know, we had a, a work meeting. We were talking about action items and all that. And then it was just a moment where, like, you know, just acknowledging and, and knowing that this is happening. And, you know, wherever you are, you know, because because we're in this together, you know, because we are a part of this, this society, because we are in this place, you know, and, and we have the connection to being, you know, in the United States of America and knowing that, you know, that, that, that more than that, we're also just humans on this plane, on this, in the, on this earth. So even if there was somebody from, you know, we, we started having those questions about when, when grief affects us and when we start um, having that empathy and, 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 and feeling that pain for people that are proximate to us, but we start like looking at, at the scaling and looking at the layers. So we have the Durham community, we have, you know, North Carolina, we have United, the United States, we have, you know, the, the North American continent, right? And then we have, like, the world. And so the question is, do we feel the same way when we hear of loss in other, in other continents? And, and, and the reality is that because we are not connected to many communities over there, like, the way we experience grief is going to be different. But through, through TV, through social media, through, um, you know, YouTube, and being able to, to see Kobe Bryant, you know, that there's a connection. You know, there's a connection that people feel. Um, and, and, and people are going to feel grief with, with, with the people they're most connected to, you know, and, and, and social media has been, has allowed us to, 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 um, to get to see people where, you know, where ages ago we, we couldn't do that. Um, when yeah. things are happening in other continents, we may not know who, the, who they are. We just hear that, you know, a young child drowned. We think about the African refugees that are going to Italy and they're, you know, like the travesty of like losing life. But we don't have faces to them. We don't get to see them. Our media is not really sometimes like sharing those stories of, of who you know who they are. So it's it's it's, a, it's very interesting about how we handle grief and you know um, and also just just knowing that we have to make room for it. You know, it's 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 part of our humanity. I mean, we have to we have to get all the feelings, feel all the feelings about this. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, 
if folks who are interested in this, is, uh, I'm going to get to both of you as we wind down in the next five minutes or so. If folks are interested in learning more about your campaign or how to help you with the campaign, what's the best website that they can reach out to you in order to make that happen? Yes, so alexandravalladares.com. So it's uh, Alexandra, D-R-A at the end, V-A-L-L-A-D-A-R-E-S.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, um, Alexandra Valladares for Durham School Board. And um, I'm, I have also a personal Facebook page, and, you know, uh, I can be reached in any of these pages. But my website is um, alexandravalladares.com. I really Dr. appreciate South. the support. You know, this, uh, March 3rd is the primaries. That, that's, uh, we, we, that's the election day. So the primaries for other races is actually my election day. Um, the race ends March 3rd. And uh, so I just really appreciate, uh, you know, if there's people with any questions, reach out. I, I'd love to talk to you. And is early voting going on now, or has that already started? or is that? Uh, and if so, what are the dates for that? Okay, early voting starts February 13th. Okay, so early voting will start February 13th if you want to get out there and get that early voting and things of that nature. Definitely, I will try to get out there and help you with the campaign. I've already said that I would do that, and I will definitely let folks know that even here on this show that I'll definitely think that you're a good candidate for us. I'm looking forward to helping you in any ways that I can. And uh, by the way, I do want to get to Daryl real quickly and get his contact information, any thoughts that you may have on his book. The singer that I was trying to remember was Rosalie. So she is a 26-year-old singer, and that's the young lady that incorporated um, Flamingo in her performance and is originally from Barcelona, Spain. So I did find that information out. That is the young lady that I was trying to remember that performed last night at the Grammys. And like I said, definitely incorporated a lot with the uh, Flamingo style of dancing. Um Daryl, are you still there? No, Daryl stepped off, bro. All right, Daryl stepped off, but I will send everybody Daryl's uh, contact information as well. Dean, while I'm looking that up real quickly, you got any final thoughts about how the show has gone and what we've learned today about Alexandria's campaign, what Gary was talking about? It looks like we've had another smoking good show, as always. Next, we're going to have another theater person that I've known for a number of years. Uh, um Aduki will be here. She is a longtime playwright as well, who has done playwriting work in Atlanta, New York City, North Carolina, and various other places. So we're definitely looking forward to that conversation, and she'll be on the show next week. So definitely uh, might be somebody else that you might be interested in doing some research on and finding out what they're all about. Um, like I said, Daryl was an amazing guest. Was Glad to have him on, so we'll find out. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm looking up right now his contact information. But while I'm looking that up, uh, any final thoughts that you've got? You know, um, as always, we thank all of our guests for joining us tonight, sharing the insight, and um, hopefully everything will turn out positively for them. You know, it's been a great discussion, and we always have great discussions discussions because we have great guests and we can't complain Monday night 7pm catch us right here live on Blog Talk Radio um, it replays tomorrow on the Skyhawk Radio Network at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time and if you miss those catch us at Radio Public iHeart Radio Google Podcast Spotify Spreaker TuneIn Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, 
cast box and also right here at Blog Talk Radio. When you walk outside your front door, showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six man team, Geronimo. I'm out. I'll see y'all in seven days. That's right. We'll have another great show. Do keep your uh, eyes and ears on the um, Facebook page that we keep track of, as well as our other pages that we do for the show right here, because that is where I will be posting information about Daryl Bumpus, as well as the other contact information for Garrett Davis and, of course, Alexandria's campaign. So you can definitely have another way that you can reach out to our amazing guests and learn about the different things that they have been involved in. And like I said, Daryl definitely mentioned his book, and the book is definitely about stepping into your greatness, stepping into your journey, something that a lot of times we find ways to sabotage ourselves and not do when we should be doing that. So he has uh, definitely talked about that in his book, and uh, you've heard him talk about some of the ways that we listen too much to negative thoughts, but we should be listening to the positive things. And you also heard him talking about definitely paying attention to what the body is sending us in terms of signals and messages and things of that nature. Both he and Gary talked about that, and that is something we need to do on a regular basis. I know I can sometimes get lazy with the whole exercise and positive eating things that we need to do on a regular basis. I'm sure that even Dean can admit that he gets that way every once in a while as well. So that's something that we all have to work on on a regular basis. It's a constant battle, but it's one that we can win and that we can work on improving. So I know I'm trying to get better with that, try to eat a little bit better, try to make sure that doing some healthy things, maybe even getting out and doing some exercises and not getting caught up in that social isolation that they were talking about in that article that I referenced as well. So definitely we're keeping our eyes on things going on at the HI Heritage Center at the Carolina Theater around Durham. And I know Dean will be keeping track of what's going on in New York, New Jersey. And, of course, both of us will be keeping track about what's happening around the world. We are in the middle of that impeachment trial, and we'll see what they decide to do with that next week. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that on next week. We left it alone for the most part this time around. But, you know, who knows what madness may happen on next week around that whole issue or even on the campaign trail or just around the world in general. We'll try to keep our eyes open. You do the same. And don't forget that not only say our guests can call in, but we don't mind having calls from our listeners as well. So I'm going to go ahead and drop that number. And hopefully you'll write it down. And if you want to join in the conversation on an upcoming Monday night, that number is 646-668-8393. That is the number for getting in touch with people and having dialogue with both our guests as well as others. So do keep that number in mind, 646-668-8393. And like Dean said, until next Monday, we're out of here, and it's been a great show, and we definitely look forward to talking to you all next week as well. <laughs>